You can never tell what's in a man's mind And if he's from Harlem, there's no use of even trying Just like the tide, his mind comes and goes Like much weather when he'll change Nobody knows, nobody knows The man I love, well he just turned me down He's a Harlem Brown Oft times I wish that I were in this ground seems like uh, never trust a nerd with a chip on his shoulder. <laughs> and they all do. They all do. That they, they all do. And I mean, this goes back to like that tweet from Elon Musk. It's like, how come there's so many shows about Silicon Valley CEOs who are sociopaths on TV right now? It's like, well, look in the mirror, my man. Yeah, it's because they're all <laughs> sociopaths, dude. Because they're all sociopaths. <laughs> they're all the literal devil with horns. Like, it's just like all nerds are looking for revenge. Like, at yeah. some point, they're going to take their revenge, and they're not going to be polite about it. No, yeah, never. When a nerd takes revenge, it is not, it is not It's like getting well. thrown in a locker and getting squirrelies does have an effect. Yeah, it makes makes you the Joker. I'm like, sure I'm sure all, like, bullying is all, like, cyber and um, different these days. I my, my All my bullying reference points are from, like, the 1950s and 60s. Yeah, I, 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 I think I grew up in a semi post bully like i feel like even by my time in high like i wasn't mm-hmm. or middle school like i didn't really get bullied in middle school or elementary school and then there was like one guy that would call me napoleon dynamite because i had like oh. big hair like i had big hair but then he got like uh i think he got like expelled or something and we never saw that dude ever again so like uh yeah, does it that the same thing happened with i mean that's what happens to bullies too they get expelled and they get disappeared yeah you know like rare <laughs> like unless they're like real like rich kids or whatever but i guess that's more movie tropes but i never forget like i was in this gym class freshman year high school that was like lord of the flies it was like an all boys pe gym class and of Ooh. course like at that time in boys lives they're like utter mo- everyone even the nice yeah, boys are utter cool. monsters yeah. well, you, have to be, <laughs> like, you have to be a ghoul to survive a little bit and it was like kind of like the gym teacher was like this like old man who kind of encouraged a healthy uh. brand of competitive and so like he's like and this week we're gonna be doing we're gonna be learning like mat wrestling it's like you realize people are gonna get hurt like there's legitimately going to be injuries here but i'll never <laughs> forget like two weeks in the big bully he like threw threw a baseball at me wow because i was tinier but i wasn't like didn't display other characteristics but i i seemed like i could be pusher i caught it with one hand and threw it back at him and never talked to again that's how you yeah and that's how you do it that unfortunately that's how you that's how you take down the bullies you 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 have to meet them with physical violence. Yeah, that's the truth. That's the truth. Not that I'm condoning any of that, but that worked for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know. Like, yeah, I feel like, yeah, it's all probably just like cyberbullying. Yeah, it's all like, and it's all like, like really like subversive stuff. Like, you aren't like told, like, you're not invited to a party. Like, you're on Facebook and you see there was a rad party and everyone's in the photos and they're like, oh, I didn't even hear about that. Like I was so ostracized, but now they're like showing it to me in this like 
visually subversive way to make me feel bad. Yeah, well, I'm still like Facebook friends with them or or whatever TikTok well, friends. And also, or like in a way that avoids conflict. Like I feel like yeah, people are way more less conflict uh, uh, prone now, or it's 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 more like passive aggressive like that. Where it's I like, know, yeah, like I'm not gonna like yeah. Let's I'm not get back like- to the good old days where we're here around second period there's gonna be a fight on the hill behind the school after school yeah everybody be there and the it was like waiting for a boxing pay-per-view it was like you know, i'm not involved i'm just gonna go watch this could be great every <laughs> every high school needs a six foot four kid named torque mm-hmm. uh, and on top of that they also need like a five foot three kid named skeeter or scooter yeah who they get in a fight and skeeter or scooter take your Mm -hmm. pick lands one good punch on torque and becomes like the hero of the afternoon at school oh yeah he becomes like the yeah he's like the he's the main character of the week in the good way yeah in a good way boy what a what a david versus goliath but instead it's Torque versus Skeeter and or Scooter. <laughs> and or Scooter. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the award-winning <laughs> podcast, The Academy Academy, the show that discovers the absolute, undeniable, and scientifically proven greatest performance in your favorite actor's esteemed career. I'm Don Saunderson. I'm Patrick Gremion. Welcome to the Academy and welcome to Odds and Ends Part One Week for Wesley Snipes. Mm. A lot of deeper cuts to get into with Mr. Snipes. He's been in a ton of movies. Did we screw up our bracket and miss out on a few? Maybe. Maybe. Actually, <laughs> this week, the question is a little bit greater than it has in our, been in our previous seasons. But we're going to get into it with three of his earliest films. We're going to be talking about 1986. 1986's Streets of Gold. This predates you, Patrick, does it not? Yeah, no, I was but a, but a thought in my mother's mind. Con- they were considering it, talking about it. We'll see what happens. Maybe. Yep. Are we financially capable of it? I don't know. Going to have to wait another five years, I think. That's what my <laughs> <Maybe>. dad said. <laughs> um, we're going to be talking about 1991's Mo Betta Blues, and we're going to be talking about 1992's The Water Dance. Very interesting films. Mm-hmm. this week i'm happy i watched all of them yeah uh like uh you know uh some are higher quality than others but like i was i think every one of these movies has something to offer i think they're it's mm-hmm. in, they're interesting and i think you see different sides of uh, snipes that we don't see as much in the other brackets you get this feeling with him too that like man like if you're watching if you're like a studio executive or a critic or something and you have to watch pretty much every movie that comes out like when he starts emerging in these things and these supporting roles there's this feeling of like man this guy is like stealing the show yeah. like every scene he's popping he like pops out so much more in these films than a lot of his especially like in the first film we're going to talk Streets of Gold um, mm-hmm. there's another actor that he's kind of like ostensibly like on par with or like there's like he's like one of the two people being trained by the our our, our favorite uh our favorite uh german pretending to be a russian uh <laughs> klaus uh, how do you pronounce this fellow's... uh, uh brandauer let's go with brandauer class klaus brandauer there we go uh our, f- our favorite uh syphilis provider <laughs> Yes, uh, yeah. from out of Africa. He's the syphilis-filled heart of out of Africa. So I, I, but yes, I agree. Like there is this like 
not only are they boxers competing in each other in this film, they they do seem to be young actors competing with each other to show kind of their stuff. Yes. And I think it's telling that like Snipes really like, I think he's the one that no shade to Adrian. He's a, he's, I, I liked him in heroes. He was good in heroes. He's, I mean, he's, he's the lead of the masterpiece near dark. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Man. He had a moment. I forget. He did. They tried him. I mean, he's a, he's, he's a hunk. Let's yes. let's 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 be clear. He's a he's a hunk, 1986 hunk. Yep, he's one of the 1986. He's up there with Tom Berenger. Yeah, yeah, Two one of hunks our favorite, of the 80s. One of our favorites, Tom Berenger. <laughs> but I, I, watching these, I was interested. I found, I found this interesting comp because, like, watching movies in the early 2000s, mm-hmm. there was an actor, uh, Jeremy Renner, who started showing up in all of these smaller movies and independent yeah. movies. And he was in like, this is the third or fourth guy in the movie. And he was like, just this live wire. He was like in SWAT. Yeah, he's, and he's fucking great in SWAT. He's in Jesse James. And yeah. he's, you know, he's, he, he was in a bunch of these things. And like, every time you saw him, like, who is that guy? He's like, he's good. I like that guy. And he got Hurt Locker and he's, you know, he got best actor nomination, but he did a same, like his like kind of ultimate, that guy, is the town, which he did after yeah. Hurt Locker. But then he started getting cast as like a stoic action guy all the time, Ooh, just like got, Snipes. He got the fan. Yeah. And yeah. he's like, no, these guys, both him and Snipes are like, might be better as like supporting weirdos at times. Yeah. Like you don't. Yeah. Like, especially like, with, like if you're making an app, of yourself like you're a weirdo you're a supporting guy you're a character mm-hmm. actor but i also think like you know and the only actor who ever kind of like got completely over this hump to this newfound level of transcendent leading man status i think is brad pitt because mm-hmm. brad pitt was so good as like he's like we always used to say he's like the supporting actor and the most handsome man in the entire universe's body Mm-hmm. and it's like and then like when he did his earlier like leading roles like if you look at movies like i don't know why the mexican sticks out the one he did with julia roberts oh yeah that's um, like a core but even a movie like what was it the the achilles one that he did um oh, troy troy i like that movie when it came out yeah i mean it's like it's weird and fun yeah it's but definitely he, he's like yeah he's very uh, plain in that film yeah and I think going back into it, like looking at even like The Devil's Own or Seven Years in Tibet or even Meet Joe Black. Or like Mr. and Mrs. Smith. But I think Mr. and Mrs. Smith, he found kind of his like, I'm a hunk, but also kind of this quirky stoner guy. You know what? And he That's... was like kind of like working on finding a balance. And then he downplayed. He downplayed things like so like mm. you move on to movies like even like Babel or Jesse James or Benjamin Button where he's like has downplayed things a bit. Right. He's like letting it's like, no, I can be here and just kind of react. And I think he like but again, this almost goes back to that Ryan Reynolds conversation. It's like, let like how many actors do you let mature like this? It's hard. And try yeah. all of these different things. And I think probably because he took control of his career and started like developing Mm -hmm. material himself and brad pitt seems to have good taste in material he's playing b right that's his company yeah something else yeah yeah and even the stuff that they've produced that he wasn't in like you know Mm -hmm. moonlight comes to mind it's like 
that's interesting. That's very interesting. Like, that's the kind of stuff we want. Yeah, from, 100%. from movies. It's a, it's, yeah, he's, he's he, he like. It's, I feel like you can tell he's matured as an actor by like the roles that got him an Oscar in like the '90s and the roles that got him an Oscar nomination mm-hmm. in the in the late 2000s, early 2010s. Like, yeah, uh, I mean, he's the, he's playing pretty big in like Twelve Monkeys. Yeah, because yeah, that's a, yeah, exactly. He's like very like it's such a um, feels like a, a very actory like I'm gonna show my craziness. It's very like a, which I like those roles. I love yeah, like I like, like all those movies. Yeah, exactly. But it's uh, I think it is like a testament to his maturing and, and growth as an actor that he was willing mm-hmm. to you know like you said just play it kind of close to the chest. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we watched uh, True Romance on Valentine's Day mm-hmm. last month. Jen had actually never seen it before, so it was kind of fun to watch that. But there's those scenes where he's the Floyd, the, the stoner on the couch, who's uh, Michael Rappaport's roommate. And he's so funny, and you get this impression. It's like, oh, this is the most true to life <laughs> performance this guy's ever done. It's like, this might just this be is, This is kind of how he was spending 1993. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, also insane that he's playing Michael Rappaport's roommate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I want to see them brought together again but mm-hmm. i mean like and now he's like he's like totally playing with house money like this new one he's in the bullet train it's like oh he just wants to do like a john wick movie because he thought that looked fun yeah he wants to <laughs> yeah but he but he's playing like kind of a weird kind of like stonery loser version of it. <laughs> As much as like a uh, uh, like a world renowned hunk can portray, yeah, well, he's character. still being a total absolute hunk. But yeah, <laughs> I mean, like, I think that's like the ideal, and obviously, no one—he's like the only person ever <laughs> who has reached that ideal. And I think like Jeremy Renner is still looking for. It. But I think there is this kind of like, especially when you're in a Snipes Renner position where you have been a supporting actor and you've gotten all these accolades you do want to have like a shot at like the throne of being like the biggest and be the hero and that kind of thing but i also think like hero roles tend to be boring comparatively and not as fun yes i mean yeah he uh you don't get to have your weirdo moments when you're playing the lead, when you're playing the, the the voice of reason, and I think like for better or worse, in if you look at the Marvel movies, guys like Chris Hemsworth and Mark Ruffalo have found a way to make mm-hmm. their characters odder and a little more dynamic. And yeah. I don't know if Renner has done that with. I didn't watch the TV show, and I uh, haven't caught, I haven't kept up. But I, his early appearances, at least, were. Uh, I got the vibe that he was like, I think I have to play this guy real tough and serious i watched the hawkeye series with my family when they were here and uh it's he i think the the problem with that like that character is so um like damaged or whatever like he like it's like such a character with a chip on like he he doesn't really get the opportunity to play like like weird stuff happens to him and he kind of responds with a deadpan yeah there's like a couple yeah that happened moments like Mm -hmm. that's the most he gets to flex he doesn't it's it's a bummer he doesn't get to like you know do something like chris hemsworth where it's like oh you get to wear a fat suit you get to be kind of a guy or whatever yeah i mean and obviously like i mean we've i've made it pretty clear i don't think that that humor particularly works for me but at least it's a little like more 
Like I think, and I think the Marvel movies are doing this and we're way off topic already, but I think they are getting more psychedelic, which I think is kind of the realm that they need to get into. Um, You know, I know that they were kind of a reaction to the Nolan superhero movies. Like, Hey, they could be fun, but I think like making them weirder and weirder and more like the Dr. Strange movie looks like it's a little psychedelic that's coming Mm -hmm. out. I saw the trailer to that. Yeah, but I don't know. I like, mean, that, yeah, that's like that's like a he's a, a Doctor Strange is a weirdo, so that that could be. I like that could be. It could be fun. I hope it's fun. I mean, if you're, it, yeah, it, it's like, and if they're gonna be deathly serious, I don't think they can visually look like the Marvel movies do. Like, mm-hmm. I think they're too like slick and compete. Like, they look like video games. Like, I oh, think yeah. that's what Nolan got right. Was like, I'm gonna shoot these in actual cities and, um, you know, grounded as much as possible if I'm going to be deathly serious. Yes, like it did, like and especially like I think I saw a thing on Twitter that's been like passed around where like they were interviewing like VFX guys that worked on like a mm-hmm. lot of the recent Marvel movies, and apparently like so much of those movies get like made like in post production by VFX crews like you know mo- like a few only like you know a month before they were like they'll, yeah. they'll they will like sh- like um they will like. Uh, have a place where a fight's taking place and then like maybe like six months before the movie comes out and after everything's been filmed they'll be like uh we actually want the fight to take place yeah. in a different place like they kind of like take the vfx teams for granted and, uh, and i think they i mean just because you have this technology does not mean you have to use it yeah or like doesn't mean you can can't like plan it better in advance because like what happens is like the the last movies the vfx have been like like particularly atrocious in my opinion or egregious like just the level of like like they look like ps4 cutscenes, like the movies yeah and yeah. i think and i'm not a video gamer and i think that's another reason why the movies don't appeal to me yeah as much because i was just thinking about it, it's like okay so you think about that or you think about and i know it's a totally different movie and all that but like that scene the big fight in marriage story mm-hmm. noah bomback went out and found a shitty single dad two-bedroom apartment to shoot that scene and you could feel like it adds so much to like the quality of like that scene and the character like we always you know everyone jokes like new york city is a character in this or you know or something or the the you know the red sob is a character in drive my car (laughs) you don't get that at all in the marvel or the big budget movies like you they don't they they aren't anywhere and that's a bummer because like that yeah. texture, like, and to actually to get in all three of our movies today, utilize their surroundings quite well. Yeah, they feel like even Streets of Gold, like there are yeah. places where like, oh, this is like a real place and there's like yeah. stuff happening. They shot in the neighbor. It's It feels like they absolutely shot in the neighborhood mm-hmm. where the movie's taking place. Yeah, it's like, yeah, this like Brighton Beach, uh, mm-hmm. like weird... Uh, I guess it's like Russian or Jewish Russian. It's not like a deli. I think it's just like mm-hmm. a, a like a Russian like dining hall. Yeah, and yeah. like and those scenes, the scenes like where they dance to the Russian band. Yeah, and that kind of thing. Those seem real. Yeah, or like the scenes where everyone's in the back is cleaning and you know dishes and dancing to respect or whatever. As corny yeah. as that is, they they make that feel like something that could potentially happen. And I think that that's that's really. It's being lost in these some of these mainstream. Even though I mean, I saw I haven't seen it yet, but the trailer to the new Batman, it just looks like it's all like we nobody's there, 
I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it definitely feels like an abandoned, uh, an abandoned Gotham or whatever. And there's like some cool, like to be to give Matt Reeves credit. There are like, I feel like there are moments that feel like they shot in a real city and like, like uh, there's like a car chase that's pretty mm-hmm. good. Like there's like there's stuff well, where like you, yeah. And yeah, he he's definitely on the better side of that and you know he he gets the respect i think he deserves and you know i saw a clip from i haven't watched any of his planet of the apes movies but i saw they were playing one of them at video tech the other day and i was like this has got a good look it's you know his played i think his planet of the apes movies are pretty solid or at least the second one i didn't like the, the last one as much where with woody harrelson but the the one before that's pretty good in my opinion but uh also i have to I hate to break uh, break it to you, but in Marriage Story, the the room where he like you know the, mm-hmm. the house where he hits that that was actually done in post. Originally, that was going to be on uh, you know a beach, and then oh, the, fuck. You even know, you the even you like, know Bombay. <laughs> yeah, they were like the producers like okay, we'll just have to change it and be a so like they did that on a, they mo capped uh, and uh, Adam. Driver. I was going to well, say. That I mean, I, I'm just reading. I'm just actually reading up on it too, and apparently Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson, their schedules due to Star Wars and uh, Marvel work never aligned, <laughs> so they actually never shared a scene together. <laughs> they were in real disappointment there yeah, too. It's, it's mean, a bummer. They were in different rooms, and actually, at a certain point, um, Adam Driver was just totally unavailable, so they had to get Andy Circus. Oh, yeah, I saw that gave, too. Yeah, saw that too. The, yeah. There's a lot of great. Are you games. are you reading this too? That Ray Liotta was apparently <laughs> just a total CGI design because he was off doing those cigarette those e-cigarette ads or whatever. Yeah, well, they they, they took his uh, they took all the actually what they did was they took all the dialogue from those um, cigarette ads okay. and they gave it to ILM and they were able to recreate his voice. And if you listen very qu- closely, every line he says in the movie. He says in the cigarette ads in different ways, in yeah. different ways. Yeah. And they just, they just change the tone. Jeez. And I mean, movie magic, but it's a new, are we in the uncanny Valley? Noah Baumbach? Yeah, what, what the hell, Noah? <laughs> we're like, we're getting, we're getting close. That will happen. I think it's scary. Like we're getting there. I think we're going to, oh, end up... and they're going to be so stoked to say like, can you believe it? Young Jack Nicholson gets to flirt with Brie Larson. Barf! Oh my God! You know Betty Davis is back, and guess what? She's going at it with Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> you know? It's her in the Tupac hologram. Yeah, and yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> folks, it's gonna happen. Uh, there's no way there. There's no way it's not gonna happen. And, I mean, nothing's gonna be. I mean, made well, this is. People. I mean, you know, I'm not gonna get too into it for those who haven't seen it, but this is literally the end of the new Ghostbusters. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, admittedly, as like, you know, a nostalgic person who enjoys those people, Mm -hmm. it was moving, but at the same time, very, very uncomfortable and kind of icky. Yeah. (laughs) Same time. Yeah. It is like watching, it's like eating a like solid sandwich or so, like not like a great sandwich, but it's like a, you know, it's like going to like Jimmy John's and any, everyone likes Jimmy John's. It's great. It's fine. You have like a, nostalgic you know maybe for me it evokes college in a fun way uh but then it's like eating that semi john sandwich and then the very end you just you find that hair you just find that and it's like was the sandwich good sure did the hair ruin the sandwich Uh, almost like it it's not great finding a hair in there one more you know into the new ghostbusters was sorely lacking in ghost blowjobs 
Mm. Um, you know, yeah. Mun- Mun- a- Muncher should have sucked off uh, Bokeem Woodbine. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> oh my god! Or Paul, or Paul Rudd. <laughs> yeah, Paul, yeah, Paul Rudd would have had the correct googly eyes. Ooh. Oh yeah, Paul Rudd would have. Yeah, yeah, Bokeem Woodbine does not need to be. Yeah, the new Ghostbusters. My my one sentence review decidedly less horny yeah. than the original Ghostbusters. <laughs> <laughs> sensually inert yeah a lot closer to goonies anyway yeah <laughs> let's get into it 19 yeah. and yeah basically what i was trying to say though is like snipes got a little even in blade he was trying to play the tough guy and then i think he really rolled into it with his later work in the straight to video stuff and i think he's figuring out right now that boy mm. you know I, I was i'm a fun scene stealer put me more fun scene stealing rules so anyway, 1986, Streets of Gold. If you haven't heard of this, it feels like it's a lost movie almost. Um, we watched it on YouTube. That's where it's currently yeah, available. Looks like it... it's been up for six or seven years. Yeah. No one, the provi- the distributor has not seemed to care whatsoever yeah. that it's sitting there. So if you want to check it out, it's there. Go, go to town. It's great. Artisan is just totally cool with this entire full-length feature. And, just... not, and it's not a bad rip. Yeah. either no it's not like it's not like uh, because i feel like you'll sometimes see like you rips of videos and like like this the they're like zoomed in too much or like they're. i mean i've watched movies that were taped off of tv that still had the commercials oh yeah but you know you deal with it because it's hard to find and if you're a movie freak but uh this one directed by joe roth written by um deso magyar haywood gould richard price there's a nice. big name and Tom Cole and you can feel the virtue price because he gets he gets these stories completely but when you have four writers you know yeah. things the, happen the, 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 yeah clockers this is not yes this yeah not uh, not even um, the pool and Scorsese color of money um, <laughs> starring Klaus Maria Brandauer Adrian Pastar Wesley Snipes Angelina Molina and John Mahoney in an, in an appearance I gotta love John Mahoney um this movie made uh 2.5 million at the box office uh, the the rotten tomatoes situation is that it has a 31 percent um it does not there is no like consensus <laughs> for yeah. this one and i it just feels like it's a bit of a um forgotten movie basic storyline is a soviet immigrant trains two brooklyn street boxers for bouts with the visiting soviet team um ebert said um streets of gold starts out to make a statement about the kind of person this uh russian immigrant was but it ends up using him as the backdrop for a tired hollywood formula Mm. yeah that's you know. yeah, he he sometimes I don't agree with Ebert, but this is like a total class. He nailed it. He nailed and, it in one go. And yeah, and this so this this basically that is, you know, Klaus, who we met, you know, last year and mm-hmm. fell in love with and out of Africa is Meryl Streep's near do well philandering husband who gives her syphilis. <laughs> Luckily Bob Redford was around to uh, give her a shoulder to cry on. But um over the course of like 17 hours, however <laughs> long that movie was. <laughs> um, but uh, 
he Klaus has arrived in America. He's he's clearly. Oh, did you notice that he seems to move into um, Sophie, Nathan, and Stingo's house in Sophie's oh, Choice? Wow, I did not realize you're right. It, yeah, <laughs> distinct distinct vibes of Stingo's pink house. Yeah, that is definitely <laughs> like the Stingo, like the, the the ghost of Stingo haunts those hallways. Yes. I once I once lived here. He shows up <laughs> as like a ninety year old man. <laughs> Help help me move my cans of beans. I have a long story to tell you. Let's talk about it over spam. <laughs> yes, spam. That's it. Yeah. That'd be spam. Uh, there was once a man here who was a lunatic. <laughs> and once once the most uh, unlucky woman in the history of the world lived here. <laughs> Why am I the one haunting it? Those people had way more <laughs> troubles yeah, we, than I weird, did. Weirdly enough, they don't their ghosts have not been seen. I'm yeah. still here. Did I make it as a writer? No. <laughs> anyway, so uh, Klaus plays Alec, who we slowly learn was a um, championship level boxer in mm-hmm. the Soviet Union, but uh, was discriminated against by the coach of the Soviet national team, despite being the best boxer because he's Jewish. Yeah. And so he has come to America. He's drinks too much he starts working in a kitchen he's but he like sleeps on the beach things are not great yeah he's not doing well yeah and one night he's on a drunken stroll and comes across one of these only in movies like (laughs) giant warehouses with a lot of noise coming out of it yeah they stopped production of lava for one day just to have this boxing yeah he's he's found and he somehow has drunkenly wandered onto the set of undisputed (laughs) Um, (laughs) suddenly he's in that like space prison yeah (laughs) so he comes in and he kind of strolls and he sees that he sees two fights he sees one with roland jenkins played by our beloved wesley snipes Mm -hmm. uh looking fit as ever yeah in this one i mean probably you know makes up for the fact that he is kind of slight but he's so lean that it's like hard to yeah He's like rocking no. a six pack. It's it's he's pretty, he's really jacked in this he's movie. He's ripped in this. Yeah, he's chiseled. Yeah. <laughs> we get a very homoerotic training montage. We'll talk about that in a moment. Um, <laughs> so he watches Wesley Snipes kick ass, but then he sees another fight with Timmy Boyle, played by Adrian Pastar, and Adrian kicks ass. Mm-hmm. So Klaus kind of worms his way into these two men's lives. Yeah. <laughs> They want him in their lives. It's, ah, first, first, he starts training Timmy, and uh, things to know about Timmy. He's um, he might as well be like a lost cousin to Annabella Sciorra. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah. we in have to, uh, jungle before, fever. Well, before before we get to Timmy, we have to talk about how uh, Roland goes up to to Klaus and uh, is like Klaus is like you can't even was it like you can't even hit me or like. Yeah, that that like just wild sequence. Where, and like, Klaus, like, Klaus embarrasses Roland, and that's why Timmy is impressed. Yes, with Klaus. Yeah, which and is like in real life. Note, Wesley Snipes is like twenty-two, yeah. completely jacked, full power, full power, and Klaus Maria Brandauer is probably forty. <laughs> Little, shorts, little, shorts, and stocky. Little flat belly, yeah. Stocky, very polite, very polite. He runs well. We'll talk yeah. about that in a moment because he's a jeans runner. <laughs> <laughs> Another one. 
He runs with all. He learned from the author author guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he good friends with Ivan and Igor and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the goofy. gang. Yeah, we're going deep into Academy Academy lore with some of these references. I hope you've kept up with the with the show. <laughs> hey, if not, um, go back and find out. But yeah, he kind of embarrasses Roland, and Timmy's into it. Yeah, so Timmy's friends, and Timmy is um, he's got a. Uh, very classic, very much like um, we'll compare him in a moment to Spike Lee and Mo Better Blues. Mm. He's got a he's got a friend who's his manager, who's not a great manager. Yeah, who's Vinny, played by Daniel O'Shea, and um, you know, kind of torn between being a more serious boxer or just kind of taking these gigs so they can make some cash and party. Um, Roland or Timmy, casually racist. Yeah, bad. <laughs> yeah, not great. He's, yeah, he's out of our main power trio. Timmy is the least likable. Of course, yeah. then he gets the hero moment at the end of the movie. Yeah, he, gets, <laughs> he gets the redemption. He gets yeah. the redemption. He's, he's, he's the character. So anyway, they go into training. Roland notices it. And what I like about Roland is that he, the game recognizing game element to his mindset switches on pretty fast and he sees that Klaus is for real. Yep. He's a trainer. And so they all start training together. There is a training montage between Timmy and Roland that's supposed to be competitive, but it really feels like they want to go into the locker room and take take a shower together. <laughs> yeah. That's very, very very softcore. Yeah, yeah. And they're both 22-year-old hunks at their six-packed peaks. They go for, there's a couple of amazing parts in this montage. They go for a jog and Klaus is wearing jeans and loafers trying to keep up with these 22-year-olds <laughs> that does. It's and then there's this part where they're doing pull-ups where Klaus is in the background also doing pull-ups in like a flannel lifting. shirt. <laughs> there's a guy lifting him. I refuse to He's believe that like, Klaus can do pull-ups. Yeah, yeah, there is like a tiny man like pushing him <laughs> up and down below. But Klaus has got like, there is a guy in gym culture who shows up in like jeans and like a flannel shirt and then like pumps amazing iron. Yeah, and then like smokes. Yeah, like that cigarette. is the weirdest guy. Yeah, that's the weirdest <laughs> guy at the gym. He's kind of impressive, but he's so weird. And Alec like is that guy. Yeah, <laughs> like, he's like he's, it's very like he is like kind of like yeah Yoda or like uh who's the guy from uh, Pat Morita and the Karate Kid where it's like yeah he's inexplicably like. I guess Pat Morita is a little more believable than Klaus. Alec is kind of a com- yeah, but Alec is absolutely a combination of Mr. Miyagi and Burgess Meredith in Rocky. Yeah, like those are his two like comps that they. <laughs> it is like yeah, it's like what if Burgess Meredith could like kick your ass? <laughs> yeah, and I think like yeah, you can compare this movie very much to being a Rocky ripoff, but I actually think the Karate Kid is also a fair yeah comp for what think, a, of a ripoff <laughs> i think it is kind of like a karate kid like a boxing karate kid and then it got hit over the head once with a coconut <laughs> yeah and that missing the point that the lead character the character that we're most interested in is the guy who's not the boxer yeah, <laughs> no like by far the most interesting person is klaus I and wanna... he pops like he's so char- he's actually like legitimately so charismatic and like fun to watch <laughs> yeah, He's such an interesting weirdo, and and this character actually has like there's depth to him. Yeah, and there's a lot, there's a ton of possible plot lines and interesting drama that's left on the floor because, as Ebert is right, like basically all of Klaus's like anger 
toward his situation. And the fact that he's kind of using these two guys to get back in, because the big news is that he learns that the Russian national team is coming to the United States for an exhibition fight with some of the top U.S. boxers. Mm. And Klaus gets it in mind that he's going to get Timmy and Roland into this tournament. But there's such an interesting thing there because it's like, do Timmy and Roland actually want to do it? Or is Klaus trying to like solve his personal vendetta through these two young men? Mm. And that's interesting. Yeah, that's actually like, drama there. Yeah, there's definite stakes. And it's like, yeah, and that's like a valid, you know, who wouldn't want to, who wouldn't feel salty after having their like, you know, kind of career ruined by forces beyond his control. And, you know, and how would that not strike a chord with him if he was like, you know, kind of questioned and then that like, you know, are you doing this just for yourself? Or are you doing this for me? Yeah. Like, yeah. That's, that's interesting. But like the movie thinks that we're most interested in like Timmy and his girlfriend and his manager. And they're kind of like interpersonal drama and that kind of thing. And basically they make the, the two, the guys, Roland makes the team, the U S team with ease and Timmy kind of barely skirts in mm-hmm. and then Timmy's manager shows up at this victory party this wonderful victory party at this Russian bar you know that's super fun and feels very grounded and real and in and of the place that it was shot they get in this street fight and Roland gets knifed across the hand and knocked out of the tournament mm. so Wesley who's popping whose yeah. scenes with Klaus they're like riffing off of each other and they're like going cool high fives and they're like laughing and like they're the genuine camaraderie yeah Wesley the... is sidelined Ugh. for the rest of the movie to the point where most of his scenes the rest of the movie are him as a fan in the crowd rooting timmy on yeah a lot it, of thumbs up is this satisfying no <laughs> no because <laughs> wesley is from the jump this is like his first one of his first big parts he's terrific he's fun he ca- he captures Roland perfectly you know he's got that snipes cockiness but endearing quality that we've seen like you know the white men can't jumps of the world or major league too um but he's sidelined with this hand injury and all he wants is a ticket to the big fight so we get to the big fight. Oh, we and Klaus. I love it, but that's like the thing. There's so much on the table. Klaus literally goes into the Russian locker room and attacks his old coach. Yeah. It's awesome. It's it great. This yeah. happens only like there's only like 20 minutes of the movie left. In Mind you, happens. folks, this movie is also 95 minutes long. And one of the few movies that's like, could have popped another 15 minutes on there for a little bit more character development and probably would have put you in a good spot. Yeah. Also, frankly, drop one of the boxers. Yeah, that's like that's what I would have done first day of writing is no. you don't need to. It's just too much. Yeah, it's very it's, it's hat on hat. Yeah, except it's two hunks on hat. Yeah, hunk on hunk. It's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> classic hunk on a hunk scenario. Yeah, you, know, you all know it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if it was just I mean, it's simple, mm-hmm. simple thing here. Roland is a cocky kind of raw but infinitely talented fighter mm-hmm. alex season fight they go back and forth on trying to see if they're gonna work together they finally do roland has a crazy manager yeah the Vinny character transplant him to that 
then you get to the big fight. Oh, and then it turns out the Russians are also racist in addition to being anti-Semitic, which gives everyone a reason to really root against the Russians and everyone a personal stake in wanting to defeat the Russians. And then you still have Roland win, but you also have Roland fight someone who's not a 57-year-old man. Getting to that. (laughs) Klaus alludes to that the Russian guy that Timmy's supposed to fight is an older fighter. (laughs) When he turns around, it's like, no, this is a grandpa. (laughs) what is this is this fucking grudge match what's happening like where do they find this guy was this the only guy available (laughs) like they have they have to do better than this this guy clearly like came up with klaus in the russian team and if they wanted to do that then have him be the guy klaus attacks in the locker room like you know have it be more personal between klaus and the old russian boxer but you know and then they get the final fight. It's a classic final fight, except it's actually kind of, um, I don't know. I mean, Joe Roth is a very, very, very successful person in the film industry. Beyond being a director, he was also the head of Disney for, for like eight years. <laughs> oh my God. So in their maybe... film department. I mean, he's very, very successful. And um, so you don't want to like, we don't. We don't want to say anything but I, I i think um yeah we don't want to be blacklisted right away um, but um the boxing action sequences are not particularly dynamic um compared right. to even those of its time like the rocky sequels mm. so low so long, or raging bull from you know eight or nine years prior yeah um, it's hard to it's hard to especially when it's like you know, I'll let you in on a little secret, folks. I woke up this morning at like six, crack of six, six a.m. to watch this movie before the pod. Uh, then, same seas. <laughs> yeah, same seas. It's almost, yeah, as if this is the film that was the uh, least interesting to both of us. Uh, and, uh, you know, like there is like a point where you're watching the boxing and it's like, man, like it's just, it's, it was just tough. I, I, it's but tough in, to be invested. In Joe Ross' defense on the direction, um, the harder part is that Timmy, is the character we care about the least yeah and I, we don't really feel like a personal reason for him to win other mm-hmm. than like oh does this is make him actually a good boxer I, I literally yeah no i literally um this film would be better like you said if they just canned boil make it snipe like it needs yeah like there's a reason why Karate Kid only has one kid. It's not yeah, Karate, it's not karate Kids. Ki- yeah, Karate Kids. Yeah, yeah. Like, like imagine how much that would suck if there were like seven Ralph Macchios. Now, there is a um, exception to this rule, and that's the film Warrior, mm. which is a highly successful movie of this ilk. But the reason is it's like Nolte is definitively a supporting character mm-hmm. in that it's not about Nolte's journey. It's like kind of, and they do... Warriors also two hours and ten minutes long to give enough time to develop both guys, mm-hmm. and they don't meet until the hour mark mm-hmm. in the movie. And the entire drama is we like both of them; they've been developed. These two guys gotta fight each other at the end of the movie. Wesley Snipes and Adrian just becoming like buddies isn't dramatically interesting. <laughs> Oh my goodness. <laughs> Unless 
the Russians killed Wesley Snipes or injured him in a street fight rather than the manager. Yeah, that would make more I think that would like let like that scene feels so inert. And like and it just like well it's just like Vinny is just like such a like non character to me. Like and he just why stuck. wasn't Wesley Snipes more angry with Adrian for bringing his asshole friend into the yeah. mix who got him at knocked out of his tournament that was gonna make him a big name. And not only was asshole friend but like he's like chill with them like he's like Vinny don't worry it's gonna be okay like he like he doesn't like have like a freak he should have freaked out at Vinny a little bit which we'll talk about in a moment in Mo Betta Blues where there actually is some similar dramatic plot points yeah, <laughs> and they respond like normal humans in said plot yeah, points yeah <laughs> go falling into a deep depression <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah, Streets of Gold, it's interesting. Like, I, I mean, we've talked about it before with movies like um, Thursday's Game. Mm-hmm. Probably deservedly kind of curios to time. Mm-hmm. You know, people worked hard on them and that should be celebrated. Actually, I like the score to Streets of Gold. I like Jack Nietzsche's music oh. in this movie. Um, give the, and I thought Klaus was great. And I he thought was... Wesley, Wesley really popped. I thought Klaus was genuinely great. Yeah, I, like, I agree with you. He's really good in this movie. Yeah, and so there's and there's some wonderful like New York street footage, Coney Island area, circa 1986. Um, I do have an alternate director for this movie. It, timeline doesn't totally match up, but I think James Gray would have knocked this movie out of the park. Yeah, this is a James Gray movie. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. This takes place in the same universe as Little Odessa and the Yards and We Own the Night, and if he had done it but i i get the feeling he's like scorsese and could give one flying fuck about sports yeah and you know that's that's an issue but scorsese like understood that completely and it was like i well the movie about a guy who boxes it's not a boxing movie (laughs) you know rocky (laughs) is about a guy who boxes but it's also a boxing movie and you know you could care less if jake lamada wins any of his fights yeah if raging you're watching bull. raging bull and you're like invested that that's like the the plot lot like the plot thread you're invested i really in, like, hope either. i hope jake gets this one against sugar ray robinson <laughs> you're watching the wrong movie yeah not it not it like i've got a film for you it's called ford versus ferrari if you want to watch people who like you want like active interest in winning or losing like, <laughs> <laughs> there are many sports movies major league yeah, you Rudy. Care. Rudy. Watch Rudy. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> and I, so, yeah, I think, like, James Gray would have absolutely, like, gone at it, like, about this angry immigrant mm-hmm. and just who drinks too much. And it would have been, like, his story rather, like, rather than even the boxing match with Timmy Matt, or even Roland really mattering at all if he had done it. But in the day, I think we both thought this movie. Yeah, was what it was. Yeah, it's fine. Like, um, I, I'm not like I've definitely seen worse movies for the pod. Um, will I ever revisit again? Probably not. But yeah, I, I mean, it's it's, it's relatively scary. relatively forgettable, probably. But also, we'll remember now mm-hmm. solidifying class Maria Brandauer as an Academy Academy favorite. Yeah, he's and cemented. we hope hope to see him again some point in the future i don't i don't think he's on the schedule at all but uh, but, his filmography is like very unique well i mean this was his first movie after he got nominated 
for Out of Africa. Out of Africa is probably his biggest U.S. role. Mm-hmm. And then it seems like he fell into treacherous Eastern European guy mm. for quite a bit of the rest of his career. He was in a Tetro. Yeah. Most recent uh, most recent kind of bigger name U.S. film from him. He's, he's alive. He's um, 79 years young this June. Wow. But uh, cool actor. Give him that. Cool actor. Yeah. Cool. In a unique presence. Yeah. 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 And I think great energy. And I think he, he and Snipes feed off of each other. Well, Snipes is really, Snipes is really fun in the movie, but again, like highly disappointing how sidelined he gets. Yeah, it is like, it's it's a shame that, yeah, out of all the people that get to like, it becomes Adrian Pazdar's movie for like maybe the last 30 minutes. And it's kind of a bummer. And that's not the person you want to be focused in on. He's the least interesting of the three. And not really Adrian Pastar's fault no, with no, that no. either. More uh, like, yeah, just like, yeah, just the character's boring. So in this, in the meantime, mm-hmm. after he does Streets of Gold, he does a cameo appearance in Critical Condition. Then he plays the, um, the wonderful, soon to be discussed again, Willie Mays Hayes in Major League mm-hmm. in 1989. 1990, he does the, um, one of our favorites, King of New York. Oh, yeah. And then in also, also in 1990, and we're talking, I mean, this is what I'm talking about with him being like fucking scene stealing delight early in his career. Also in 1990, he does Mo Better Blues. Mm-hmm. Mo Better Blues. Directed, of course, but written, directed, and produced, of course, by Spike Lee, starring Denzel Washington, Spike Lee, Wesley Snipes, Joy Lee, Cindy, Cinda Williams, Giancarlo Esposito as Left Hand Lacey, very fun. Um, Bill Nunn, who we've, you know, love Bill Nunn. Oh, yeah. Uh, Dada Man from um, New Jack City. Naturally, um, the Totoro brothers return this week as Mo and Josh Flatbush. We'll talk about them in a moment. Yeah. Um, very odd birds. Sam Jackson is back in a very fun role as oh. Matlock. Yeah, he he gets like two really good moments in this movie. Uh, Charlie Murphy is back in a very fun role. It's it's you know it really is the kind of the early '90s Spike Lee all stars in the mix on this one. Mm-hmm. This movie was Spike's follow-up film one year after Do the Right Thing. And I think that's important to think about when talking about this movie. That this was the, like, after the absolutely immense cultural impact of that movie, his breakthrough movie, his third movie. You know, how, think about that. Like, as an artist, I mean, like, how do you follow up, you know, a Do the Right Thing? How do you follow up a Pulp Fiction? How do you follow up, um, you know, even a movie like Moonlight for Barry Jenkins? Mm. You know, it's like there's your that's tough. So what Spike did is I think he 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 dug deeper into kind of his family history, his personal history in this film, this epic film about the rise and fall and rise again of the jazz trumpeter. Bleak Gilliam, played by Denzel Washington, who, um, you know, no surprise, is a heavy hitter 
yeah. this film. Uh, we should note this movie was budgeted at 10 million, made 16 million at the oh. box office. Uh, 71% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, not, not nominated for anything, just kind of. And my guess is that some people post do the right thing, as usually happens, is looking to kind of there's both the filmmaker stretching and trying to capture a lot of stuff and you know trying to get a bigger bolder vision and then the critics kind of have their targets aimed at them like oh yeah prove it prove you're not a one-hit wonder yeah we're waiting for you to screw up yeah and you know spike lee's enjoys being front and center <laughs> publicity oh, yeah. and stuff like that which I think he's awesome. I'm huge. Love the guy. Love him. I say that after I finish every one of his movies. I love this guy. But um, (laughs) he does make himself open to be targeted. He's not hiding or like he's not like a shadowy like I'm an artist. Let my work speak for myself. I mean, the poster is literally him presenting the title with his arms. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's just an epic story about this jazz trumpeter his loves his passion for music his family city of new york as usual um it's it is quite a film (laughs) it's it is an epic tale like you do not know what is going to happen next spike is pulling out all of the tricks in his playbook he's got more money probably than he's ever had for a film too and he's using it at every top to bottom department in this movie. I mean, like, it's like, you know, uh, Spike Lee, and I've said this in Jungle Fever, he's such a, when it comes to uh, making a place feel lived in and, like, uh, just cluttered with intriguing minutia, uh, I don't think anyone else does that better than Spike Lee and his uh, production team. Like, Like, every, like, these... Like I want to go to all these sets and like look at all the like look at all the pictures and all the walls mm-hmm. and like you know hang out in like the seats and stuff. Like I feel like there's so much intent with his design, and he's so good at making uh, the club that Denzel Washington and his uh, band perform in feel like a real lived-in space. And I got We have to give credit again to cinematographer extraordinaire Ernest Dickerson. Oh, I think man. it's this team is just so good. And they they are so on the same page, and their visual like their challenge, their the warmth and challenging nature of their visuals is unmatched. And it's like one of, the, one of these early '90s Spike movies. You could see one frame from them, and you would know, oh, that's a Spike Lee movie that was photographed by Ernest Dickerson. Yep, hundred percent. Yeah, which it's is like, so cool. Yeah, there's a very few like I feel like cinematographer direct. It's like the Coen Brothers and Roger Deakins, mm-hmm. Spike Lee and Ernest Dickerson. Uh, you could probably make an argument for like Steve McQueen and uh, uh, Sean Bobbitt. Yeah, and I mean, I you know me, I, I, I'm gonna do it. Um, Christopher Nolan and Hoyta van Hoytema. Oh yeah, he's really yeah. They've really <laughs> and uh, Chris Nolan and uh, Wally Pfister in his earlier movies for sure. Yeah, uh, Hoyt kind of took the took it away from Pfister. Well, uh, Pfister after Dark Knight. Okay, here we go. Oh no. Give us a scoop. No, Nolan Lore from Don, everyone's favorite segment on the show. Um, <laughs> you are entering the Nolan zone. The Nolan zone. Nolan zone. Nolan zone. Um, no, it's actually uh, Wally Fister wanted to move into directing. 
and um, had already been doing some commercial work. And so he and Nolan prior to Dark Knight Rises had discussed it and said this was going to be their last one because he was going to move into being a full-time director. And so Nolan was like, go with God. It's awesome, man. You've, yeah. we've, we've had a great time together. Uh, of course, though, Wally Fister's directorial debut, oh, executive no. produced by Christopher Nolan, was the Johnny Depp star transference, which I never saw, but I heard was um, didn't work out. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, that pretty much, unfortunately, as things tend to go in Hollywood, ended for the time being Wally Fister's uh, feature film directorial career he's done some tv but apparently he does um very very extensive commercial work to this day but i always really liked his images and the nolan ones i think that they're so clean and so like um unencumbered but they're chilly you know which kind of matches nolan's nature but regardless you know i think that both filmmaker both hoida and um fister kind of inherently as this relationship should be in the same way Roger Deakins understands the Coen brothers and um mm-hmm. Dennis Villanova and, um, right. and uh Sam Mendes yeah <laughs> and you know that that the those relationships and that's the goal that's what everybody wants I mean the same way you know Robert Richardson has developed a big long-standing thing with Quentin Tarantino mm the last handful and they, they've created like this very distinct look and style and image making and that's what you want out of movies you know i think you want to be visually challenged yeah like and and i think um tonally you know one thing i love about spike too is that he's totally unafraid to dive into melodrama yeah like it's quite striking actually with these last two just to be reminded of that and be like man, he's just like willing to like have people like wallow with their emotions and like you know people and, will break down and cry and like and the the way the music swells and the way the camera will swoop in on them Yeah, I can hear you. I'm sorry, you. I, I kicked my microphone. Oh, classic uh, faux pas. Classic, classic podcasting faux pas. But, um, but yeah, it's just like, I mean, you think about that scene where Denzel, so Denzel has two girlfriends in this movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, very difficult. And um, very difficult. And when it comes to a head where he's having sex with both of them, not at the same time, but it's intercut, and he calls them both by the wrong names. <laughs> And they have this intercut uh, argument sequence, which as it was like when it started, I was like, oh, is he going to do this? And then by the end of it, I was like, man, he did it. That's rad. Like, it's yeah. so cool. Oh, <laughs> it, like, and I, I really do kind of appreciate how much of like a cad and not necessarily a great guy Denzel Washington is in this. Uh, in this yeah. Movie. Like, they kind of and- let him they kind of let him be a little bit of a jerk. Yeah, he and he, and so I have this whole theory that I was developing while watching the movie about. I think that this movie is autobiographical in in a lot of ways because Spike Lee's dad was a jazz musician. All, I should note too ahead before I make this claim that all of this is completely made up by me and uh, parody. I have no, I yes, we'll, we'll call it parody for the moment because <laughs> I have no idea and if any of this is true. Um, but it's just the vibe I got from watching the movie is that. 
Spike Lee is an incredibly driven. I don't think he would be where he is if he wasn't almost psychotically driven and psychotically taken by his vision. Yeah, to like to create something of this magnitude with something this big with that level of specificity, like you have to have whiplash brain a little bit. And with the confidence that he has, and this goes back to his first three pictures before this one, um, you know, do the right thing, school days, and uh, she's got to have it. And just the fact that, you know, as a young guy from where he's from and, you know, obviously, you know, coming up at the time he did even today it's like this too but with institutional racism and just dealing with all of this kind of stuff to get to the position he was at when he made this film of of being one of the premier young filmmakers Mm -hmm. in the world and frankly it doesn't matter kind of who you are that's hard to do and requires a drive and a almost religious belief Mm -hmm. being able to accomplish it i saw that a lot in bleak and the way he used trumpet and his music and i also so i'm wondering if spike lee was looking at his obsession and how it had gotten him this far and how he had succeeded this far but perhaps in his personal life with whether it's in personal relationships or friendships or family he had let that end of his life suffer and Mm. it was in the process of writing this that he recognized that the importance of that part of your life yeah. as being that balance and perhaps saying yes i wanted this drive and this drive to succeed in my art my creativity but i also really need to be fair and recognize the joys that come with family and friends well it's especially when in this movie uh you know uh, spoiler alert but it's it's so easy it's so easy to lose the former you know the you know and when you lose the former all you have is the latter and i think he does a good job of demonstrating that in this film yeah i mean the basic plot line is denzel is balancing these two women his career infighting in the band and his um manager played by spike lee who is of course known as giant and got a hand it to spike lee to allow himself to be ripped on yeah. for his height as oh, much man. as he is in this film he is like he is like it is very much the, what we were talking about very early on in the beginning of the podcast like he is like the nerd he's the scooter you know yeah he's the, but like with no with no uh witty repartee or like he's kind of um i mean we've seen this trope in movies it's always a good one he's kind of the the troublemaking loser friend i mean this yeah. goes to um you know, like De Niro in Mean Streets. I was going to bring that up too, actually. Yeah. yeah, very much. Yeah, except not nearly as fatalistic or like deranged. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, his Sp- <laughs> Spike's yeah. problem is he's kind of a dork with a gambling issue. De Niro yeah. is a, like a true blue lunatic. Yeah, in, he is like, yeah. You know? like and, a- and the tough part is Harvey Keitel isn't his talent, doesn't have the talent on the trumpet. Yeah, there's no, oh uh, man. If halfway through the movie, Harvey Keitel just like busted out a trumpet, it will show like any level of skill other than just trying to. Uh, his greatest skill is making excuses for Robert De Niro. <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah, he's he is like the 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 shield that blocks all of yeah. Bobby De Niro's potential. Uh, I mean, I, I wonder if there was like this like because uh, Spike's obviously very versed in the films of Martin Scorsese. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, De Niro's introduction 
in Mean Streets is one of the all-time actor in like you know De Niro had been in a handful of things before then but this kind of establishes the De Niro persona mm-hmm. in Mean Streets and at the first scene he's in he's putting a bomb in a mailbox and like running away giggling and it's like that's how he has lived his career for the last 50 years yeah. since that moment <laughs> you know this kind of like set the tone yeah yeah it's it's it's, it's absolutely terrific mm-hmm. And I was wondering if, like, oh, did he think about doing that with Giant, giving him some sort of um, thing? But basically, you know, Bleak's dealing with all this, and it all kind of comes to head. Mm-hmm. In Giant has all these gambling debts. Sam Jackson's kind of this like t- street tough who's like gonna break Giant's legs. And they get in this big fight. They're beating the hell out of Giant. Mm-hmm. And Denzel comes out after a ripping solo, mind oh, you. Yeah probably the best solo of his life Mm -hmm. and no um accident there that spike did it that way (laughs) comes out and promptly denzel starts getting beat up and they smash him across the face with his own trumpet uh destroying his mouth causing him to basically be disabled from playing trumpet yeah it's like a very specific like yeah he's mouth it's a super specific injury that only would specifically harm the career of a (laughs) trumpet player (laughs) but and then you know and kind of goes all and it kind of comes full circle where Mm -hmm. denzel realizes you know there's more to life than my obsession Mm -hmm. with trumpet uh we had a classic academy academy moment where he wins back his girlfriend indigo Mm, true they they get married we got in Jen, classic, typical Academy Academy moment when I'm watching it with my wife and she's screaming at the TV, don't do it. Yeah. Don't go back to this man. He's lost <laughs> his trumpet skills, you fool. You are his substitute for his trumpet. Yeah. So, oh, and they, there are um, dozens of trumpet as penis visual metaphors oh, yeah. in this movie. Dozens. Mm-hmm. He is not hold back on it. Yep. And it's, and it's just nuts and we haven't even gotten to the fact that the two guys who own the club that denzel plays at are joe and mo flatbush played by john Turturro and nicholas Turturro. very weird um, characters <laughs> very weird characters that got um huge controversy in the moment from the anti-defamation league who straight up says dredge up an age-old and highly dangerous form of anti-semitic stereotyping um you know, I can't go, I'm Jewish. I can't, uh, and I can't, uh, I'm not going to, like, say that those characters aren't, like, you know, vaguely anti-Semitic or whatever. Um, I will say, and I'm wrong. I know I'm wrong. I know I'm fucking wrong. You can, but I will say that, like, for me, like, personally, as a Jew, when I watched it, they're only in the movie for, like, three scenes right or four maybe they have like four they have like there's like two scenes in like the office there's one scene where they're eating chinese food and on the computer and then when they're 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 doing accounting for a couple of them you know what i can't i can't look i can't i can't like say it's this bad it's bad it is bad it's 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 a little surfacey in it's it's, some of its stereotypes yeah but i i don't know I, i guess like it doesn't have like that I've seen movies where I've had like knee-jerk reactions to the anti-Semitism before where I'm like, oh, this is clearly a red flag. I didn't get that from 
Mo Bitter Blues. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I think you could have made if you. Yeah, I don't know. You made a great point via text message though about this idea that they they're so weird. They're that weird. It does feel like they wear matching pajamas and sleep in double beds next to each other. Yeah, every they, night. they they're like weird. They're, they're just there weird is brothers. Like an, there is like an element that in twenty years they would demand be demanding of their grandson Charlie to obtain them a golden ticket. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> they're sleeping in the weird bed together yeah, uh, yeah. it's yeah. like yeah so there is that it, but yeah and uh, it should be noted spike lee has continuously refused to apologize in any sense for the characterizations <laughs> of the flatbush brothers also noted that john Turturro and nicholas Turturro are italian men but, yeah um, you know, to begin yeah, with yeah it is like i kind of just find that stupid. um it's just funny and stupid yeah i don't it it yeah. it, it, it it it's is like, what it is. Yeah, whatever. Those yeah. who you're depending on your sensitivity scale might yeah. might find it a little rough. Yeah. Um that being said, I mean they're not even like I would say the worst person in the movie too is by far Samuel L. Jackson. But he he's he's displaying this was a year before Jungle Fever. Yeah. But he's already got it. He's got all the Samuel oh, Jackson stuff. So good all of his Sam Jackson stuff is it's like he came fully formed and people just like slept on him for the first 20 years of yeah. his career. He's just like, yeah, or you know, maybe it's one of those things where that 20 years gave him like a marinated it. It gave him like that like extra baba boom. He comes in, he's cracking wise, he's threatening as hell. It's it's all it's all there. It's yeah. all, it's he, is, all there. he is menacing and we're we're here for it, folks. Yeah, so yeah, the second he, and it's got this quality, like the second he shows up, we're like, Yes, the movie has taken it to the next level because Samuel Jackson is here. <laughs> like, <laughs> um it's a blast. This movie like his movies are not boring. They're so wildly kind of fun and just mm-hmm. wild and enjoyable and jaw dropping and tonally just up and down you gotta hand it to him oh, he's, one sure. of, he's one of a kind we have that's to it. talk about uh snipes just performance oh, we're gonna get there we this is, that's as we're now we're going hey, there for heading there. the uh the prelude the introduction to do mo better blues is over we got to get to wesley snipes as the wonderfully named shadow henderson oh yeah <laughs> that whole everyone, everyone's got great names in this movie yeah, the whole whole i love that whole squad i also yeah. like that uh just the last note before we enter the snipes zone uh, I love that, like, there's a weird timeless element to this movie where, oh, like, yeah, we got, yeah, we got yeah where it's that, like, yeah. it, like there are computers in this world. Like, the Tuturos are on a computer at this the point. The Arsenio Hall show is on the air. Yeah, they reference the Arsenio Hall show, but it's like so weirdly. Like a- it's like this is a world where, like, the cherry popping daddies are like as popular as Michael Jackson. Like, they replaced- well, it's like, or the cherry popping daddies like wrote how. The, the cultural what is culturally important yeah. in the United States. This was shadow, this was this was ghost written by the, the cherry pop and daddies. Yeah. Every, but everyone's got like these wild, like colorful suits. Jazz is by jazz has never lost its cultural impact. It no. is still the most popular form of music in 1990, which yep. I mean it wasn't don't think it was uh yeah, i don't know a little movie called the mask disagrees with you no you, that's true yeah cuban pete would disagree with us on that <laughs> cuban pete <laughs> yeah I mean, we, are, we are we are right around the corner of the swing revival but 1990 
was yeah. kind of the heart of Guns N' Roses, Metallica. Yeah, this is like yeah, we, Madonna and Michael Jackson. Country. You know, yeah. like, <laughs> you know, a lot of people that had just come from a Winger concert that went into Mo Better Blues and were like, "What yeah. the hell?" Yeah, yeah. So it's um, it's a strange. I mean, it's strange. Like it, it, it both feels like it takes place in a very specific part of New York, as all of Spike Lee's movies do, but also on a different planet. Yes. Planet Jazz, yeah. But it's like this, like, I, I really love that. I've been reading this book about Billy Wilder recently, and they were talking about Ernest, Ernst Lubitsch, the comedy director of like the 30s. Um, and he had this set at the Paramount Studios, and it was called Paris, Par- Paris Paramount, where they were shooting, and it was all, claimed to be Paris, but it was like weirdly different, and it was clearly a set also in like Hollywood and stuff like that. And like this otherworldly quality of like, it is, but there's something slightly off, and it's not. I, I I like that in movies. It takes me into a weird spot, like the New York of Eyes Wide Shut that Kubrick shot completely in England. Mm. It's like, okay, you claim this is New York. It kind of looks like New York, but there's nothing in New York that is like this at all. <laughs> like it's very like, I I like it. I think it's kind of cool. Like this, like it makes it gives it this like sheen to it that feels different. Mm-hmm. and this movie frankly a lot of spike because like spike lee is playing in this like hyper real sense in all of his movies kind of the same vein scorsese does too in his mm-hmm. new york movies especially as he got more money yeah, <laughs> to get flashier sure, yeah like yeah wolf of wall street is definitely not just like a vanilla <laughs> yeah or even like going like bringing out the dead like the hellscape mm-hmm. yeah york. that is like yeah that is like the, the uh is that like the New York from that like one like lost Ghostbusters script where like there's a demon version of New York? Yeah, yeah. And it just like it gives you this sense, even if the place isn't real, it's still like a place. Yeah. Like that. Like you understand like the rules. Totally, they do a good job of setting out like this is a world where like jazz is on top, uh, and they're like yeah, people people love like they like you know if you mess if you gamble too much you're gonna lose some limbs mm-hmm. like yeah. Everything's kind of set up pretty well. What's cool about it is, and this goes through all of Spike Lee's movies, what's interesting to Spike Lee as a human being in real life Mm -hmm. is what is interesting to everyone in all of his movies. (laughs) (laughs) Like, yeah, his... his, Like, whenever he went, yeah, whether it be, like, jazz or basketball or... Yeah, yeah, like, sports, music, like, his taste and all those things. That's what they do, too. Like his yeah, his interest at the time kind of just dictates where the world uh, leans towards. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no one like kind of disagrees with him on yeah. any of it. It's like yes, you're yeah, like and obviously some people would say that's like very self-centered and not particularly creative, but I love it. <laughs> no, it rules. It that's totally like, rules. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Wesley Snipes plays the role of Shadow Henderson. He is the up-and-coming saxophone player in the mm-hmm. in Denzel Washington's band. From the jump, they say he takes like 45 minute to an hour saxophone solos every night, Insane. which uh, if you're a jazz head, I'm sure that that sounds like an awesome thing. <laughs> if you're not a jazz head, you're, you're not a like... jazz head. You're probably not staying for the rest of that concert. Um, like, uh, 20 minutes in, I'm going to head out. But he, like they show he's, he's really good, mm-hmm. but he can like that he's got, but he, he, he also though shows signs and I really like how Spike does this of kind of wanting to be the star and also kind of wanting to 
not just work the hard jazz clubs mm. and that kind of thing. He wants a little bit more of like the stardom kind of elements of being a jazz man in a world where jazz makes you a superstar. Whereas Bleak is like truly like almost elitist in his alignment with pure jazz and like the purity of being an artist and that kind of thing. And that might be another element like to Spike, is he selling out, you know, as an independent filmmaker, do you feel like he was selling out, Mm. you know, and he's questioning that. But um, I, I love Wesley in the movie. I truly love him in the movie. I think he's great. Yeah, he is great. And it's like a role that could have been pretty thankless and boring, but he adds so much. I think he adds so much of himself to it. Like he he makes the he makes that part pop. And the fact that like it never he has animosity towards uh bleak, but it never but he also kind of respects he respects yeah. his artistry too. It never it never festers into something dark or like yeah, and, you know, Shadow never like, you know, attacks Bleak or mm-hmm. something like that. Like, yeah, it, it, When it I notice at the respect. end too when Bleak gets attacked, Shadow's the first one there to take care of him. Yeah. And and you know, and obviously there's a lot so Shadow's a ladies man, one of Denzel's ladies and Shadow uh, Clark is her name. Clark Bettencourt, another good name, an aspiring singer. Her and Snipes end up hooking up. Mm-hmm. And then after Bleak's injury, Snipes kind of takes over the band. And it leads to this really amazing scene where um, Snipes invites Denzel to come and play the show after Denzel's kind of recovered. So a few things I noticed that were really cool in this scene. The sound of the band is decidedly less traditional. It's a lot smoother in the scenes before Denzel joins for the jam. And when Spike pans over the crowd, the crowd is like all white people. Yeah. And he never, but he doesn't do it like in like a classic. He doesn't like surprisingly because he hits you over the head with everything else. He actually he keeps it very subtle that you're just picking up like oh there is a shift in kind of what they're doing in the audience and kind of the reception to yeah. it as well well that's the thing too is like shadows like i want to be successful and i want to you know sell like yeah i want to make what uh he's not doing it for the art necessarily yeah and um clark is um singing with the band now at the end of it too uh denzel's ex and snipe's current uh girlfriend and um Jen was just yelling at the TV again on this. He he said that she, Clark's haircut for the scene reminded her of the Bride of Frankenstein. And she was like, <laughs> who did that? Who did that to her? This is embarrassing. This is painful. <laughs> yeah, the hair was bad. And hair I got to get a bigger egg. The woman who plays Clark, Cinda Williams, is in this other film called One False Move. Mm. I don't know if you've seen that, Patrick, before. No, I haven't. Absolutely fantastic 90s neo-noir. It's movie. a Bill Paxton um, joint, right? And yeah, one of Bill's greatest. Oh, he's the lead, he's he's the lead in that one. We should too. do a Paxton bracket. That'd and really uh, she was once married to Billy Bob Thornton. She's one of his ex-wives. What? And How he wrote he... and he wrote and starred in One False Move. <laughs> like Sling Blade again? Like how does how does he get away with it? 
he's he's a charmer from what i've heard i i know someone who's who's met him and you know and hung with him a bit he's a charmer <laughs> god damn but um snipes is like it's it you're right your toy ride could could have been just a one note like young antagonist to our established guy mm-hmm. kind of movie part and snipes make shadow just a much more interesting and fun guy and spike allows for like the scenes where they're in the dressing room there's an improvised quality to them just ripping into each other oh it's great and it's really great because he just hangs with them and lets them kind of lets the these guys in the band who are all these amazing actors and fun totally fun actors just like go for it there's that scene where snipes is explaining the smell on his sheets that is one of the truly the funniest and stupidest things. <laughs> like, could have easily been cut from the movie, but at the same time, I'm happy it's there. Yeah, it's the same. It's that's great. I love the part where Denzel Washington sort of does like it's kind of like slam poetry. It's oh yeah, like, it's kind of yeah. like John Leguizamo's pest intro where he does different characters. And I think he's kind of like <laughs> making fun of rap music. Like, is not I don't know. Like, he's like an old timer who is like, it's not real. It's not real. Like. Jen said it was definitely felt like your dad trying to rap. Yeah, well, you know, it's in, that's well, it's interesting. And this could be like speaking out of turn here. I could be, but like, um, you know, you see, like, we you can see like a lot of Spike Lee and Denzel's character, mm-hmm. but there might be a lot of like his father too. Yeah, Billy, I do like, 100%. Yeah, yeah, was yeah. a, yeah, was a, that's uh, the other side of the personal story that I think, yeah, is in there. yeah, 100%. Yeah, who of course also composed the score yeah. to the movie his dad along with uh Wynton Marcellus and um longtime Spike Lee collaborator Terrence Blanchard um and as usual with every or not it's not Wynton it's uh, Bradford Paul Branford I'm sorry confused Marcellus brothers mm-hmm. um but um as with every single Spike Lee movie the score is fantastic oh yeah um the music is terrific you should know too that it opens with flavor flav yelling over the <sighs> universal logo which really sets the tone that you're in for a great time yeah, i like that i love the the disregard for like universal and like you know it's like the 25th anniversary and they just get in it rules it yeah snaps. it's yeah. yeah in the movie i i really like like the cyclical nature of it how it ends with the same scene as it started but with denzel not he's a boy in the first scene and now he's an adult and with his own son like i just thought it was like i mean it's like jungle fever it's probably too long and it's probably too ambitious mm-hmm. but who cares like yeah. i'd rather see that than you know nameless workman like you know nameless boredom yeah, it's interesting. It's an interesting movie, and I have a good. And I think this is a better movie than Jungle Fever. I would say. Um, Maybe I think it's a it's a little know. it's more cohesive than That's Jungle fair. Fever is. Yeah. Like, uh, although like the highs in Jungle Fever are probably higher. High, both movies are good though. Like, yeah, I, like I like both of them. I I I think I like this one more. I think this one's a little more entertaining. Mm-hmm. And I think it probably helps to have any movie that has Denzel Washington is yeah. assisted greatly by having Denzel Washington. Just, yeah, you're, the charisma level of your movie goes up 50%. Like, yeah. he's, he's really good in this movie. He He's, I mean, it like, when wouldn't he be? But he's he's just terrific. And you love to see him young, too. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, because he's, he's always been such, he's such a, anyone who likes movies, it's like, constant. 
in our lives. So it's cool to go back in time and see him as a young man and um, with yeah. a lot of edge and a lot of energy and um, to see like yeah like kind of see him with kind of see him as a charismatic ladies man. Mm-hmm. too which he doesn't you know as he's in his mid-60s he's not doing those parts anymore yeah he's kind of like in the equalizer <laughs> zone right now yeah i mean there's nothing wrong with his no. like his action movies or anything like that but it, yeah it's like wait but you signed in like the Macbeth film this guy's got i mean we all know he's got everything but it's just he rocks yeah. we know that boy talk about the least controversial thing ever said on this show but um he's great i mean the movie's just a lot of fun mm-hmm. and it's dramatic and it's wild and it and it's constantly surprising and snipes is terrific in it and i think i mean it's hard to say i think this on i mean when we're i think this is honestly a bracket worthy film yeah i, think I mean so. i think he I, he might just not be in it enough uh I think, like, I mean, I'm trying but to if, think. But if yeah. we did Willie Mays Hayes, he's in it more than even Willie Mays Hayes is in Major League. Yeah. Well, and the thing, too, is, like, even when he's not, like, he's memorable. And, like, the moments he, he has, like, I think he has, like, three or four very strong moments uh, mm-hmm. with uh, both Cindy Williams and uh, Denzel Washington where he's sparring with them, like, you know, and mm-hmm. Act and is just as interesting and charismatic as his uh, counterparts mm-hmm. in those scenes. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I could see a world where like we take out Boiling Point and put in this movie, or um, even Sugar Hill. Yeah, take out Sugar Hill, put in put in uh, Mo Better Blues. Yeah, yeah. As, as much as much as I find Sugar Hill intriguing, and like you know, and I think this this goes to a broader story of like people like Meryl Streep and Al Pacino have been so properly like critically covered both in the moment and the sweeping nature of their careers that it's very simple to pick out the kind of like 16 key movies everyone it's kind of common knowledge mm-hmm. but with somebody like wesley snipes who they're not a lot of critical unfortunately not a lot of critical work has been done on talking about the entire career arc and kind of highs and lows and that yeah. kind of thing you know, we're coming at this at a very like we're kind of in, almost inventing some level of this. Yeah, 100%. And so there's going. I frankly, I mean, we'll said there's going to be mistakes. I think. Oh, for sure. Compared it, to the previous two brackets, in terms of deciding on what should be in. And I think I I still think our bracket's pretty solid. Like I yeah. don't like as like as if does Mo Butter Blues probably deserve to be on the bracket? Sure, but would it have made it? I don't think it has like legs. Compared. I mean, I don't. I don't know. It doesn't like stand out. Like, I don't think we've seen. I think he's been phenomenal in a lot of these boarding roles. But I mean, are they going to top White Men Can't Jump or New Jack City? No way. I don't. It's doubtful. Yeah, but be this very, is yeah. this is a great one. If you have slept on this one and your Spike Lee, um, you know, catalog of watching, mm-hmm. check it out. I'd say. Yeah, I think it's. It. I think it's a. I think it's a cool movie. So, you know, very next year, Wesley does. Jungle Fever and New Jack City in 1991. We could call it 1991 the year punk broke, but also the year Snipes broke. <laughs> I think, you know, I mean, two definitive full-scale leading man roles in New Jack and Jungle Fever. And, you know, we've covered them. We'll be covering both of them again soon enough. Um, 
But in 1992, boy, what a year this was. Wesley does Passenger 57, White Men Can't Jump, and the movie we're going to talk about now, The Water Dance. Excellent year, 1992, for Wesley Snipes, 30 years ago, this very year. 1992's The Water Dance, directed by Neil Jimenez and Michael Steinberg, uh, written by Neil Jimenez, autobiographical, too, um, co-starring Eric Stoltz, Wesley Snipes, William Forsythe, Helen Hunt, of as good as it gets. William Forsythe, of course, of um, Dick Tracy. Um, Flat Top himself. Flat Top himself. Uh, Elizabeth Pena and Grace Sabrisky, when she's not piloting drop zones airplanes, she's oh. playing William Forsythe's mom. Oh, my <laughs> God. I did not realize that. Oh, that is 100%. Yeah, lady. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Good to see her as always. Uh, this one um, budgeted $2.7 million, made $1.7 million at the box office. Does have a 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. It won the Audience Award for Best Dramatic Feature and the Waldo Salt Screenwriting Award at the 1992 Sundance Film Festival. And it was nominated for four Independent Spirit Awards in 1992, Best First Feature and Best Screenplay. It won both of those. It was also nominated for two people in the Best Supporting Actor category, William Forsythe and, of course, Wesley Snipes. Um, pretty simple story here. It's Joel Garcia, who Eric Stoltz plays a writer, who has a hiking accident and is paralyzed in the hiking accident. And he's sent to a rehabilitation center for both body and mind. And he meets a collection of other people uh, all men, I guess they put all the dudes yep. in one floor, but um, who are also recent, recently been injured or that sort of thing and now are all using wheelchairs. Um, and it's kind of all of their kind of struggle with their new lives. Basically, yeah. would you say that that's pretty apt? Kind of I'd is. say that's like, yeah, it's like the struggle with our new lives, learning how to navigate mm -hmm. uh, a world, you know, in a wheelchair. Like, it's very much like one of those type of films. Like, there's not like a, it's not like there's like, yeah, it's not like there's a goal they're trying to reach or like some sort of tournament in the end or something. It's just how to, yeah. how to continue living, yep. basically. And these, and all of the characters that we meet that are, especially our three main guys mm -hmm. are pretty, um, they kind of all seem to live out loud <laughs> pretty yeah. heavily when they were uh, in their er, in their earlier life. And now it's really, a, it is a struggle for all of them. They're big personalities. Yeah. And um, it's a struggle for all of them to kind of reconcile where they are now. And so in addition to Joel, who's Eric Stoltz, uh, we meet Raymond Hill, who's played by Wesley Snipes, a very, very friendly, flirtatious man, utilizing all of Wesley's um, kind of charisma and you know fun kind of cocky skills mm -hmm. but also with a wonderful kind of sad melancholy just bubbling yeah. right below the surface and we meet William Forsythe who plays Bloss a Harley riding man's man oh yeah who is now um, and it should be noticed quite racist oh yeah I, um, would, I would describe his character as like evil Gomer from Full Metal Jacket like if, if Gomer like learned all the wrong lessons, yeah, that is the character. And uh, hadn't shot hit, uh, Arlie Ermey. <laughs> yeah, if he had not shot Arlie Ermey and just like went to Vietnam and had his like soul crushed there in addition to at the base. Yeah, 
I Joker. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, you're talking about a Joker. Yeah, Um, for real. And then there's other folks in the hospital around them. Um, I noticed one of the guys from Miguel from Tremors is there. Yeah, uh, I saw that too. I was like, oh, it's Miguel from Tremors. Yeah. <laughs> like, I Gotta love that guy. <laughs> I'm the dude at the movie theater going to his girlfriend. That's that's Miguel from Tremors. Yeah, he's he's in the film Tremors, one of the great films. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, they've got the hospital staff is really fun and sweet. Um there's all sorts of peripheral people. And then, of course, Helen Hunt is there as Anna, who is Eric Stoltz's girlfriend. And also, interestingly enough, very interesting kind of bonus plot line to the film. Folks, she's married. And they were cheating on her husband together before uh, Joel had his accident. So now she's in a real pickle. It's like, does she leave her husband like she was planning to do for this guy who now she's going to kind of have to take care of more? Yeah, and it's, it's rough. Very dramatic. Very dramatic. And then Grace Zabriskie plays Pat uh, Bloss, William Forsythe's mom. Yep, Mama Bloss. Um, Mama Bloss. And it's just kind of we hang with these guys as they mm-hmm. physically recover and mentally <laughs> recover. And I think we pretty easy to say the mental recovery is a lot tougher than the mm-hmm. physical recovery on display. And they kind of, you know, get to know each other you know Raymond is like definitely hiding under this super friendly surface kind of a bad behavior and a sadness in general Bloss behind all of his blusters just very sad and frustrated yeah there's like a scene where they take Bloss to like the uh the place where he was in his accident Mm -hmm. and uh they're just like kind of looking around and he can't like really handle being there Mm -hmm. and it's just in it's incredibly depressing yeah i mean it goes to show too i mean we Forsyth have played the bad guy in dozens upon dozens upon dozens of he's just got the look he's got the right look for it Mm -hmm. um this is a tremendous actor He's really good in the movie. Yeah, he's really, really, really good in the movie. Yeah. And you almost wish, like, man, both him and him and Wesley, actually, there's this feeling of, like, where were these parts in your guys' career? Yeah, like, because, like, Wesley's, like, it's so interesting, because usually in these movies, Wesley snipes when there's, like, three friends. I feel like we've seen a bunch of movies with, like, friend groups and Wesley snipes is a part of them. Mm-hmm. And Wesley snipes usually kind of gets, like, thrown by the wayside a little bit or not you know or regulated to the sidelines like even in the streets of gold and mm-hmm. in this movie he really gets to shine like you get to like he gets like these really strong moments that are he gets I would say, the model the, the name of the movie monologue yeah there's like a scene where he's like crying at the the, the phone and he's gonna like <laughs> he's it's like so moving how like no one reacts, but Stoltz and Forsyth are like on it and they're like going to do anything they can to save their friend. It's like, yeah. it really, oh, like the, obviously there are some elements of this movie that are kind of 90s. There's some sidetrack stuff. You know, I don't think you would write William Forsyth's character as vehemently racist yeah, just as like he is now. Like people just wouldn't very, find yeah. it sympathetic no. regardless of his changes in the movie. Um, but overall like it's a move it's a very moving human drama i thought yeah I and think, yeah. i liked it i thought it was a genuinely good movie and it's yeah and it's interesting it's like it's really um 
it's really fun watching this movie and seeing these characters kind of build their support system mm-hmm. with each other, like kind of like finding camaraderie uh, in their, um, you know, in their shared uh, grievances and, uh, you and know, situate pain. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and I think this movie also does a great job of not shying away from like these guys uh, were jerks in a pal, like, you know, like the lead, like cheated on. You know, cheating and honestly, if you're at a strip club and you're trying to say like, I really thought this was a what? Who does he compare the novel? Oh, Dostoevsky or no, or Gogol was it Gogol? Yeah, it was like Gogol. No, it was um, regardless. Yeah. Oh, Flannery O'Connor. Flannery O'Connor. But he he goes, I thought no, I thought it was like this French novel, but it's really a French. This is really a Flannery O'Connor story. If I were in force, I would have slapped him. Oh, you fucking sure. slapped him. You're yeah, in a strip like, club and you're doing this. <laughs> like, yeah, like you're yeah. the most annoying guy. <laughs> Shut up, nerd. Get yeah, wedgy. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's like <laughs> stuffed in a locker, brother. But yeah, and it's like reveal Wesley Snipes got his injury because he's like this perennial cheater and like kind of con man who finally got his comeuppance, like Spike Lee and um. Movetta Blues yeah, got he, the shit kicked out of him and that's yep. how he got his injury. He got thrown into the, the river and there was no river. <laughs> yeah, I got thrown in the LA river with no river. Um, <laughs> Just hit ground. Yeah, hit the, hit the ground and w- if you've seen the LA river, you could imagine from the right height, quite painful. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> back not, will be broken. Yeah, back will be broken. And and then, you know, William Forsyth, of course, you know, is a blustery asshole racist biker. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and Eric Stoltz is like like a hollywood screenwriter guy he yeah it is so funny how he is just like a legit like kind of an annoying hollywood screenwriter and yeah uh, although like he does a really good job like he's so he plays that role so tenderly he's really they also like hold off until the third act to give him his big stuff like forsyth and snipes like get hot moments from the second they're introduced mm. basically where Stoltz is kind of but Stoltz also says at the very beginning he's like no I'm in good spirits now but I'm going to crack you know in a few months and he that's exactly what happens yeah, he, predicts, <laughs> he called it <laughs> he predicts his own like mental collapse but it's just it is such like it, it's a wonderful story of like these kind of these like three guys who not great in their personal lives would never in a million years know each other or be friends with each other in any other circumstance but realize due to their circumstances they are kind of the only support they have yeah um i should also be noted that this movie is very horny yes it is <laughs> on top of everything horny. else and like god bless them cool <laughs> you know, yeah. rock well, on. And they do a good job of demonstrating it's hey when you're in a wheelchair like it can it's tough to be horny a- like answers, there's a lot of it answers the questions that probably most uh, walking audience members had, which is, can they still do it? Um, sort of is the answer. Yeah. <laughs> At least according to this movie. Yeah. Um, although, like, yeah. Although, uh, it's it. Man, uh, it's like, it leaks. There's a very um, explicit and I think rightfully explicit sex scene between Stoltz and Helen Hunt that um, basically goes through what it takes to have intercourse mm. and it ends poorly and it's 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 i love i, I truly think that's why maybe one of my favorite scenes in the film and i like mm-hmm. that like they really just don't sugarcoat anything 
and it feels that scene actually feels pretty sometimes this movie can feel a little maudlin or a little mm-hmm. um like uh ridiculous but i feel like there are also a lot of moments in this movie that feel incredibly grounded and yeah and it adds to like the like the drama and the sorrow and like yeah that scene i, well, I don't know i really it's me. also really great that it's like about acceptance in this sense because it's like there's no like montage of eric stoltz like on those bars yeah learning how to walk it's like right. no this is this is the lives that these three guys now have to lead mm-hmm. and what are they going to do you know yeah. about it are they going to embrace what they can and you it's know and move even... forward or is it going to get you know and so and it does almost get dire mm-hmm. for in particular for raymond wesley snipes it, it reminds me of like when we were having our conversation about our like top 10 movies like this is one of those classic movies where like uh it's like drive my car or mass where it's like these people that have to deal with like these horrible things that happened in their lives and they have to pick up the pieces and learn how to like and i i think yeah. that is like like uh what i look for in a great film i, I don't know I, I think that's like kind of like the thing that's kind of really it's a good dr- topic for an adult drama yeah I mean, because everybody, you can't avoid, I mean, obviously in movies, they can be more extreme, kind of some of the tragedies or accidents that happen in your life, but everyone's going to experience them. So it becomes relatable, even if you had an experience, you know, we've not, you know, thankfully, fortunately, never had traumatic injury like this, but this movie gives you a little bit of empathy and insight into that, you know, what, what that feeling. And you know, I think it's I think it's a I think it's a lovely movie. You know, it's so very too. it's a very very sincere movie. Of course, we mentioned it was um, autobiographical. The screenwriter Neil Jimenez. I, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right because he's a wonderful writer. Um, the, basically, this is his story that he was out hiking when he was in film school and had a traumatic accident, and he currently uses to this day uses a wheelchair. And, um, you know, I imagine a lot of the characters and stuff like that, the Bloss and Raymond and that kind of stuff are kind of maybe people he met when he was in a traumatic rehabilitation center. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think that this movie is currently for the rest of this month, which is only a couple more days. It's on the Criterion channel. Um, currently, that's where I watched it. And uh, I think we both recommend it. Yeah, give it a go. It's a good it, it's a good performance, good movie. Yeah, it's a good movie and it, I think it should be said out of the 3 <sighs> Should we have put this in instead of One Night Stand? Mm, you know what I would say? Um or, in, yeah, One Night Stand perhaps or uh you take out one of the blades. Yeah. I think this movie should have been. Yeah. In there sure. he's this is one of his better performances. Yeah, he's really good at it. Um, he's like, yeah, it's it's a, it's definitely a bracket-worthy performance. Yeah, yeah. It's unfortunate. We didn't know. We didn't know. <laughs> we it's, didn't well, know. Well, it, it, it's it's a very, like, unassuming film. Like, you look at yeah. it, and you see the trailer for it, and you think to yourself, ah, oh, this is going to be pretty hacky. Like, it, it, doesn't, like it, doesn't, it, doesn't do it, it doesn't do it that much favors. But well, you, I think it's also, like, cheesy and maudlin cheesy exactly it seems yeah. cheesy but then there's not that much cheese it's it's like there's it's not real. a lot of cheese in it yeah like it doesn't end with like triumph right it ends in acceptance which is kind of the way it should be yeah it's like hey shit like shit has to continue 
yeah yeah <laughs> like, yeah and we move on and we you know it's like well it's the end of, that's why the end of drive my car is so like beautiful and like tear inducing almost because it's like well, there are no answers we just have to live yeah we have to live it's the same it's that's why like that's why mass worked for me too it's like this like these movies it's oh god yeah these movies were like yeah this horrible tragedy takes place or like your life is irre- irrevocably changed uh and you can't just you have to keep going you can't just like you can't like you know there's nothing you know the you can't do anything about it so you're gonna have to like learn how to do something i don't know it's yeah it's tough it's good i mean you gotta just get your get put your shoes back on and get that get that get get that check off play off the ground (laughs) yeah uncle vanya ain't gonna produce itself (laughs) yeah uncle vanya ain't gonna be uh spoken in multiple languages and sign language yeah but yeah i mean and i guess that's you know get back to kind of the start it's like that human connection is what i think people are looking for in movies maybe they're looking for just an escape and Mm -hmm. you know a three-hour cutscene from a video game, but I don't know. Like when I watch a movie, I want to feel like, you know, feel that feel that human emotion and that connection and kind of those moments and like, you know, we talk about hangout moments and stuff like that. This water dance has got some cool hangout moments. Just the three guys shooting the breeze. Yeah. Too. And yeah, I guess like it's capturing life in a visual medium, and water dance does that really well. I think. Uh, I think we both give it big thumbs up and yeah i wish i wish it was in the tournament i wish we could have shared it with uh, one of our guests same i want to uh, this would be a fun new bev movie yeah yeah i mean and it, this is the of course the the 1992 sundance film festival was kind of the breakthrough year for independent cinema and sundance mm-hmm. and uh if i'm not mistaken that was also the year as war dogs <laughs> played, wow. uh played uh played sun yeah reservoir dogs came out in 92 so i, I do believe um yeah played the october 9th 1992 or uh, january 21st 1992 sundance film festival reservoir dogs yeah i could see that taking a little bit of water dances thunder uh, yeah a little bit of water dances thunder but interestingly enough uh the next script neil jimenez wrote was for a film called 1994 Sleep With Me, which Eric Stoltz is in, which does have a very, very famous Quentin Tarantino cameo in it, ah. where he does his monologue about the homoerotic subtext or text to Top Gun. Ooh, that's interesting. I need to see that. Uh, I need to see that movie. I mean, he wrote River's Edge too. Like Neil. Yeah, he like wrote a, River's Edge. He's I mean. a talented dude. I, I'm like, yeah, it's kind of a, it's a bummer that we don't see um he i guess he sort of um does he did, did he do much after sleep with me um wrote hideaway in 95 which i believe is a dean coons Ooh. adaptation oh no <laughs> uh yeah which yeah but i mean yeah and he he hasn't been he hasn't been credited with much since the mid 90s i don't um you know, he, he he's still around Mm-hmm. um so yeah i don't know but um he's yeah he's he he's gonna be 62 years old this year wow. but you know hopefully he's uh 
doing well and hopefully we we'll see more from him maybe some sort of comeback or some point or something yeah, like that because solid human writer yeah and then like yeah and i think this is kind of missing right now in cinema movies like this where it's just like you know i mean some would argue coda hits these notes i mean does it though i don't know i, I, I don't I need to watch. I need to watch Coda. I, 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 I pieced out after 20 minutes. I need to give it a rewatch. Yeah, I, I have not. I have not watched it yet. either. Yeah. And, 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 of course, and, and, we are recording. We are recording the day of the silly awards, the Academy Awards, um, in which Coda is probably going to win Best Picture. <laughs> so. I think it will. I think it will. Although, like, you know, it's so it's weird. It, it does truly feel like up in the air, like it could be uh, no pun intended. Um uh, my boy Jason Reitman, but uh, uh, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. Like, I truly don't know what movie. I could see Don't Look Up probably has a chance. Uh, West Side Story. I feel like a lot of people really like. I have a lot of friends that love West Side Story. Yeah, I think it's it's very interesting because both West Side Story and Nightmare Alley bombed, but like the second they got put on HBO Max and Hulu, now they're like two of the most talked about and like liked movies. Yeah, out there, it's like. They got to figure out how to way to sell these movies in a theater because both those movies are actually like phenomenal theater movies. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> great to watch. Yeah. Like Nightmare Alley, great to watch in a movie theater. Uh, I would imagine West Side Story is very sensitive. You know, that's another movie I saw 20 minutes of and I just couldn't, uh, for whatever reason, it just was not working. But that's the problem, though, when you put it on like the internet, like it. These movies are probably great, but if I'm going to be like watching it on my computer at like two in the morning while I'm playing Wordle on like another screen or whatever, yeah. like, it's just it's just it's not the ideal uh, format for these type of features. in my opinion. Yeah, kind of getting locked in and being like, you know, water dance. I left my phone in the other room. Yeah, I when I, I was mean, watching it and I was like totally drawn in and invested in like to the, to these guy to these guys story. Yeah. And, you know, I think today, if Waterdance came out today, it's like they'd say it was just too small scale. And it didn't, like, it's not really trying to say anything about, like, I think there'd be a scene where they were discriminated against. Maybe, yeah. It is kind of like that. And, like, they try to make it a lot more like with some social justice elements to it, I think, a lot more. I do kind of respect, like, not that there isn't like a social. There is, I think that, but but it's more personal and feels realer. That gets back to something we were talking about off air is that I think that like by not stating it, but just having these guys move through and getting to know them and that kind of thing, Mm. you can't help but also be invested in kind of how society and the walking public treats them Mm. and caring about that as a matter, like through action rather than just simply saying or rather than through monologues or like mm-hmm. self-important press releases, they've made a real statement with this movie, I think. Yeah. And you kind of wish more movies would do it through, you know, I think there's a, these days there's, you know, not to get off on another rant on who am I? Um, Dennis Leary. Oh, um, Watch out. Hold your, keep your grande mochas away from this guy. Yeah. But I think that there's like a lack of faith in the audience these days more than yes. ever before. And I think that that's too, because I think, I think people should have more faith that the audience can pick up on these things and like actually be felt, actually feel things and like, you know, 
understand the points being made without having the points being made so heavy handedly. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe that's just me. Hey, yeah. I'm going to go back to my caramel macchiato. Yeah. <laughs> Go back to that caramel macchiato. Oh, wait, no, you'd be against the caramel. You'd be like, no, give me seven eleven. Give me seven eleven coffee. Yeah. Black coffee, the way my dad drank coffee. Give me <laughs> some water with dirt thrown in. I just want some dirt. That's what water. coffee was. What's this, what's with these kids and their caramel macchiatos? Coffee should give you dysentery. Coffee should not have as many ingredients as you know creme brulee or whatever the fuck. He's, you know, yeah. <laughs> is that a coffee or a damn croissant? Yeah, I a croissant. That sounds French. Fuck that. It's <laughs> freedom bread. It should be freedom bread now. Whatever happened to donuts? <laughs> <laughs> Give me a chocolate bar, maple bar. I don't need any of this. <laughs> you put bacon on my donuts now. I have bacon separately. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stupid Dennis. I love. I, I love, love Dennis Leary. Yeah, I love, he's I love become a bit of a bit of an obsession for the academy academy <laughs> uh do you want to do like just like a bonus episode where we cover his um where he plays the rock and roll guy that yeah uh, you know if you want us to watch his uh t- television series sex drugs and rock and roll in detail and cover the entire thing patrick might be a perfect opportunity to have them send us an email or or uh, contact yeah! us via twitter with what are our um handles again uh at the Academy on Twitter and the Academy Academy podcast on Gmail at gmail.com. That's the, no. yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. No, it's okay. Just so I was going to say uh, at the Academy and then uh, the Academy Academy podcast at gmail.com. Check us out. Check us out. Let us know about if you if you need more hot Dennis Leary content. Yes. You know, we'll do it. I'm, who knows if we'll be happy about it, but we'll do it. It'll hurt us. Yeah. They are, are, but it, you know, if we're going to be positive and look on the bright side, which I think we like to do on this show, it will help us workshop our Dennis Leary impersonations to really get to, yeah. <laughs> to take to take our Dennis Leary impersonations to the next level. Yep. For sure. Yeah. If you want us to be like the best Dennis Leary impresarios in the world. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and do you want us to do a bracket? Do you want us to, like, you know, uh, what would be on the Dennis Leary bracket? I guess the ref. The ref. The ref. <laughs> yeah. He, it's like, the ref. First and foremost, the ref. Uh, and then I guess Operation Dumbo Drop. Yeah. What is this Dumbo? I remember, I, we don't, we don't, when I was a kid, we did not drop Dumbos. And we, we made fun of Dumbos because they were different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't give me none of that PC stuff. I can make fun of elephants. Don't make fun of elephants. Yeah. <laughs> different things scare me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the end of his uh, comedy special. Yeah. <laughs> I'm afraid of change. He's, he's definitely honest. Like, different. Yeah, it's like, boy, the most honest comedy special since Nanette. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Dennis Leary, the new Nanette. my goodness anyway that's a good what a good week of good week of movies this week next week folks we're continuing down a little bit of a trail before we reach back into the bracket next week it's one we've been looking forward to for months it is our abel ferrara tribute episode next week we'll be covering king of new york starring our friend wesley snipes and (laughs) fucking murderers row of dudes (laughs) we'll get into it soon enough and then we're not going to reveal it ahead of time 
one of the classic Patrick Don Pickums. Patrick's picking an Abel film. I'm picking an Abel film, and we're gonna take a look at those as well. Are we so gonna three Abel films? Three Abel films. <laughs> so King of New York and two mystery picks for Patrick. I'm Don. We'll talk to y'all next week. Uh, bye bye. We never got to what our boggle is. No, we never. <laughs> no boggle. <laughs> no boggle this week. Ironically, my boggle is Scrabble. Uh, what, mm. what, what is your boggle? Yeah, what, what's your freaking boggle? <laughs> what's your freaking boggle? <laughs> Demolition. A world where like Dennis Leary is in Demolition Man, but it's like his, his character doing like, would he be like a PC Demolition Man? Right, he's going to be know. like Eddie Murphy, the nutty professor. He's playing every character. <laughs> like Mike Myers. <laughs> please. Yeah, please. Ah, uh, look at me, I'm a fat guy. <laughs> Isn't that weird? <laughs> Different? <laughs>